in relation to climate change. It seems that unless you agree with everything that's been said, including the exaggerations in the newspaper, your class is a climate denier. In other words, you're disqualified from the debate. Well, one man who has written a whole piece about being disqualified from the debate is a man who describes himself as a political philosopher. And he joins me on the line, David Thunder. Good afternoon to you, David. Good afternoon. Um, David, you know, it's, it's very difficult to have an opinion nowadays without being put down immediately as a climate denier. And you write on Twitter recently about the 10 ways you can basically disqualify yourself from this argument or this debate by just even having an opinion, unless, of course, you're qualified in some way. Yes, um, I'm, I'm very concerned. I'm not a climate expert, of course. Um, I'm just a political philosopher who's used to assessing evidence-based arguments. And I've been very concerned by the way the climate debate has unfolded um, in, in, well, in the, over the last few years, and especially we've seen this over the last few weeks, um, essentially, uh, I would say unfair tactics have been used in arguments, immature and unfair tactics, such as brandishing anyone who questions any aspect of your argument as a climate denier um, or, you know, referring to the arguments of some scientists as the science or the, the science con scientific consensus. Um, so we need a more nuanced debate about climate change and about climate policy and a debate that really is more balanced and considers, um, you know, not just the potential harms of climate change, but also the potential harms of climate interventions, such as taking cars off the streets, or stopping flying, so forth. And taxing people till they're in poverty. Of Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, prohibitively high taxes can be a real problem because it, it's a burden on ordinary people. This idea of the kind of battle to see who can put the highest temperature in their article, it seems to be kind of ongoing. Yes, I agree. I mean, basically, there's a kind of an effort to drum up a sense of emergency, a sense of panic, a sense that all bets are off and we just have to throw everything we have at this problem. And it's, it's actually very, very similar to what happened during the pandemic when really the newspapers were plastered with scare stories about a virus that had, you know, a relatively low infection mortality rate. Mm -hmm. um, so the same thing is happening. I see the same thing happening with the climate emergency um, this sense that we, we have to have citizens really have this very, very somewhat vague uh, fear that uh, of impending doom, that the planet is sort of going out of control, that our lives are going out of control. And I think we can be confident that if someone is constantly bombarding us with this kind of fear-based uh, discourse, um, without giving good, solid arguments to back it up, that there's manipulation going on, that mm -hmm. they're trying to pressure us into accepting a particular solution. Well, you mentioned, of course, on your Twitter account during the week, and you talked about the Directive Mayor and Owen Moran, who is also the Vice President of the World Meteorological Organization, and he explained in RT why Europe in particular is experiencing a pattern of dangerously high temperatures last week. Now, I'll just play that clip, just well, just a section of that clip, and, and you made comment in relation to that. Just play that. And is climate change, do you think, playing a role here? Certainly climate change is obviously playing a role here. Over the last number of weeks, we've witnessed an alarming unprecedented toppling of records at a global level. Um, from an air temperature perspective, 
We've recently seen the daily maximum temperature record topple that happened on the 17th of July. Sea surface temperatures across the North Atlantic and across much of the oceans of the world are now breaking records. Looking at sea ice extent in the Antarctic, the level of sea ice melt is now significantly below any normal level. And this is all before the heating effect of the El Nino really kicks in. And so this is a, an alarming situation. We kind of had to get the word alarming in again there, by the way. And also he mentions later on in that as well, human-induced climate change. Now, there are many scientists around the world who would disagree with his interpretation of what's happening and the facts that he gave out there. And only recently, by the way, the BBC uh, brought out a special uh, panorama in relation to climate change and had to answer it and upheld four complaints in relation to facts that were made on the air uh, in relation to human beings' involvement in climate change. But, of course... He believes what he believes. I don't want to question him. That's his scientific view of it. But the words like alarming, unprecedented, human beings, this constant trashing all the time of this is really alarming. I mean, what I seen last week wasn't alarming. I mean, and I even seen a Sky News reporter at one stage, you know, standing outside uh, some tourist place in Greece, or I can't remember what it was, one of the Colosseums or something in Greece, saying that, you know, people were dropping like flies and all this kind of... In the background, I could see tourists eating ice cream and drinking water. It looked fine to me. Now, don't be wrong. It was extremely warm. There's no doubt about that. But that's what you come to expect when you go to a warm country, particularly Sicily or places like Sardinia, which have the hottest temperatures in Europe. Yeah, I mean, I think the point here is that it's not that, that this gentleman was telling outright lies. Um, these are subtle but important, uh, let's say, signals that he's sending to people. For example, well, not so subtle. He's using the word alarming repeatedly in relation to... Unprecedented. Uh, unprecedented, not normal, um, and so forth. And, and, and these words are like keywords that send a message to people that they should be very worried now, I would have more respect for that language if it was contextualized and if he explained exactly which risks he's referring to and if he quantified those risks. But in that whole interview, all I heard was alarm, alarm, alarm. I didn't hear any of the concrete risks that he's referring to and who's affected by those risks. But he also so mentioned records being broken. He, he, mentioned record, he mentioned records were broken, uh, you know, record-breaking hmm. temperatures. They weren't record-breaking temperatures. There were actually no records broken. The hottest day still in Europe, by the way, I think was oh, a, good, a long, long, many, many years ago. And that was in Sardinia. And so, or Sicily, it could have been one or the other anyway, which was 48 degrees. That record wasn't broken last week uh, and hasn't been broken. Now, it may be broken in the future. It may be broken next week. Um, but even last week when we were covering this on the radio, I spoke to a few different bar owners in different parts of Europe. And I had a girl on who's a bar owner in Paris and she was telling us, oh, it's really warm. Uh, today was 42 degrees. And I'm going, where did you hear that from? And she said, oh, it was on the news. It was 42 degrees. I looked up the temperature for Paris that day and the highest temperature in Paris that day was 29 degrees. So people are believing this. And because it's warm, it's, it's okay to be warm in the summer. They believe the story they're reading or hearing in the news. Now, I know there's a change in the way we report news nowadays when it comes to temperatures, that they use ground temperature instead of air temperature. Maybe that was the ground temperature that day, I don't know. But it was never 42 degrees in Paris last week. Never at any point. But yet she was yeah. quite quick to use that figure. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, the problem is, I mean, besides we could go into all the details of whether there's misinformation in the reporting or not, to what extent there's misinformation and misrepresentation. But I think that the big point that I'm seeing is a failure to provide a, a, a rounded, contextualized account of what's going on. And so to zoom in on, say, this or that temperature or that, you know, even if there was a record that was broken, that doesn't tell me as a citizen how worried I should be about this. It doesn't really tell me what the risks are, um, what the long-term risks are. And also, I mean, we, it doesn't even get into, he just mentions in two words, human-induced climate change. And of course, you know, we know anyone who's even looked a little bit into climate science knows that two possible uh, contributing factors of climate change are human behavior and natural events, natural events. Um, so, mm -hmm. so to say that it's simply human induced is deeply disingenuous. And, and I would say because it's suggesting that there's just one cause. And in fact, there's a plurality of causes. And I'm not even, a, I'm not a climate scientist, but you could just look a little bit into it, into literature, and you already see very quickly that there are multiple causes. So there's a lack of subtlety, a lack of complexity, a lack of respect for citizens in the way and that why, the debate why do you think Why do you think that's being done? If we look deeper into this story and climate change, I mean, by the way, again, nobody, although you will be branded a climate, climate denier, as you probably will, and so will I, but in saying it, nobody denies the climate is changing. We all can debate as to what's causing that and, and what is the main contributor of that and why the climate is changing. Could it be natural? Could it be more human-induced? There's a balance there. You know, yes, we should change our ways to some degree. Yes, we should care about the planet and care about the environment. But why do you think that the focus seems to be on our behaviour? You know, I mean, people talk about, I don't want to get to conspiracy theories, but people talk about control. They talk about, you know, climate credits or carbon credits. Uh, they talk about the future of a cashless society and all this. Do you think it all plays a role in all this? Is there a purpose behind all of this? Look, basically, the way I see it is it's it's politics and it's human nature because um, politicians and political activists, they look for opportunities to advance their causes, which is understandable. So uh, the way in which climate events are reported affects the way citizens respond to those events. And it also affects whether or not we support uh, the cause of certain climate policies, um, you know, uh, such as greener cities or such as, you know, electric vehicles and so forth. So it's perfectly understandable that people would, you know, take advantage of the opportunity of climate events um, that might be, you know, a little unusual to essentially advance a particular political agenda. That's human nature. Um, and I, I don't know why people think this is conspiratorial, because honestly, that's what politics is. And politicians do this all the time. They did it during the pandemic. They'll do it for climate change. They'll do it for whatever policy they want to advance. But but isn't it hard for the general public to take it seriously when, you know, uh, those who are saying, you know, do as we say, not as we do, are being the ultimate hypocrites? And, I, and I've mentioned on numerous occasions, say, for example, Joe Biden came to Ireland and, you know, they all gathered into the Oireachtas to listen to his wonderful speech. Then the last thing on his speech, of course, was about climate change and how we all should change our habits, blah, 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 blah. He finished up at his dinner, went outside and got into one of his six-litre SUVs, followed by another 10 six-litre SUVs onto a helicopter, then onto a private jet over to Shannon or wherever the hell he was going. So, in other words, this idea that we should listen to people who are actually breaking more of the rules than we are, 
makes people think, what's this all about, really? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that's understandable that people would be a bit confused if they see someone telling you, you know, to use less, to use electric vehicles and then getting into their jet. Mm. Um, uh, but that doesn't necessarily invalidate their arguments. Um, of Does course, it not? Completely. I mean, do, do you not no. think it invalidates their argument? When, when I mean, you, it, when it, you see it, a it might indicate a certain amount of hypocrisy, but even a hypocrite well, can be right can be right in their in their fundamental argument but but my my issue is my issue is that um this constant kind of harping on guilt on the idea that you know i have to radically change my lifestyle um well uh you know maybe i do have to change my lifestyle but i need to see evidence i need to see evidence shown to me i need to see evidence if i'm going to make radical changes in the way i live and but the, but that's that, not, but that's not happening, David, because we saw that even during COVID, for example, yeah. you know, the, the famous nine euro meal, for example, there was never any evidence that was going to make an ounce of difference. We knew in the first six months of COVID what the mortality rate was. We knew that we needed to focus on people over the age of 70, that under the age of 70, it was probably no more dangerous than the flu, over the age of 70, a little bit more dangerous than the flu. So we needed to focus and protect the elderly, yet we focused on everybody and put all our attention on everybody, which was completely unnecessary. But many people said that at the time. And and the evidence now, with you know, the research that has been done on lockdowns all over the world and different populations, that lockdowns didn't really make a difference, that masks didn't really make a difference unless you were very elderly, for example, in a care home or something like that, that those things didn't really make a difference. We should have known that. The evidence was there. But unfortunately, we didn't listen to anybody who contradicted the current narrative at the time. We're now doing exactly the same thing again when it comes to climate change. People with valid arguments... Now, it may not be the arguments that agree with the narrative, but we don't listen to them because we say, let's dismiss them, let's cancel them, and let's just call them a climate denier. Yes, because it's an authoritarian use of science. Essentially, we wheel out people in white coats, so to speak, and we, we get them to, you know, to share the party line and tell us what we have to do um, and to treat citizens like children because they don't explain the reasoning behind their decisions and their judgments they don't share the evidence um, and they certainly don't dialogue with alternative perspectives. We saw that during the pandemic, constantly during the pandemic. We're seeing it in relation to climate change. And just to be clear, I'm not taking a strong position in the climate science, uh, climate change debate. All I'm saying is treat citizens like adults, present the evidence and dialogue with people who have other perspectives. And then I can take your perspective more seriously uh, you know, if people are doing this, I'll take their perspective more seriously, you know, but but this kind of patronizing, just trotting out a line that that the the, the, the world is coming to an end um, is not a serious mm. way to engage with citizens or to defend public but, policies. But we've done that for 50 years. I mean, right back to the man who stood out in the middle of the street with a sandwich board and I'm saying the end is nigh. We've been doing that for 50 years. How many times in the last, well, I'm 59. I don't know how old you are, David. You're a tad younger than me. But how many times in the last 40 years or 50 years have we heard we've only got five years left or the world will be flooded in 10 years and by 2000 it'll be all over? Even the Mayans were predicting that, for God's sake. So in other words, just to predict something without telling people, as you rightly said, telling people why it's going to happen, how it's going to happen, and what we can do to stop that from happening, if indeed we can, or indeed if it's worth doing those things to happen, because I was thinking about this the other night and I was saying, realistically, when it comes to fossil fuels, which are still very cheap to use, by the way, as, as nuclear uh, 
uh, fuels are, are nuclear energy is cheap to use as well. That you know, over the next thousand years, we've seen how much human beings have advanced in the last fifty years. Over the next thousand years, I'm absolutely sure we will be developing, you know, other ways of sustainable energy and other ways of producing food, and because obviously for a growing population. Um, so I I don't think the concern is as alarming as they're making it out to be. Yeah, I mean, I mean, ultimately, I haven't certainly haven't heard evidence to convince me that I should be uh, extremely concerned or worried uh, about the future of the planet. Apart um, from a 16-year-old I mean, girl in Sweden. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm open. <laughs> I'm open to evidence. If somebody wants to convince me and give me the evidence, you know, I, I haven't, I, my mind is open on this question. I mean, I mean, I'm genuinely open, but I'm not going to be railroaded into a position just because somebody uses a bit of, a bit of fear-mongering. I want to know, I want to know really what's behind people's opinions, what's the basis for those opinions. Mm. And um, that's and all I'm asking. And then you'll make up your own mind. And then you'll make up your own mind. But look, it's an interesting piece. If you want to go on to David's uh, Twitter account, uh, David J. Thunder is his Twitter account. Uh, you can see there a very interesting 10 ways to disqualify yourself as a credible uh, interlocutor, interlocutor, which is an interesting word, by the way, that you use, by the way, for a lot of people who don't understand that it basically means a person involved or engaged in debate. In the climate debate, in other words, if you don't agree, you get disqualified, essentially. And you give the, the 11 reasons why you're disqualified, which I find really interesting and quite humorous, by the way, in a sense as well. Also, I know you write on Substack too. Uh, if you want to follow David, by the way, go to our Twitter account for the show today. You will see David's at is there on Twitter and you can follow him online or go to his Substack as well. David, it's been a pleasure talking to you and hopefully we'll catch up again and talk again. And by the way, you're in Spain at the moment, aren't you? You're, you're, I, I you am work. in Spain and um, yeah, so I'm suffering. From, I've been suffering from the heat in Madrid. Uh, yeah, but, I'm, I'm watching. You know, I survived. I survived. Yeah, <laughs> and lived to tell the tale. What, I mean, yeah. what is the temperature in Madrid today? It's cooled down a bit now, hasn't it, since last week? Um, I'm in Pamplona today, but in the last few days, it, it's it's gotten up to, it did go up to about 38, which mm -hmm. is unpleasant. Yeah. Uh, if you're, you know, unless you have air conditioning. If you have air conditioning, it's not so bad, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And by the way, has it gone to 38 before? In the past? Uh, yes. Yes, of course it has. We've had okay. heat waves, you know, of various yeah. sorts. And and yes, in Spain, 38 would be, in different parts of Spain, would be, you know, one of the peak temperatures in the summer. And of course, during the summertime, you will also, in cities, you will also have higher ground temperatures, which normally what you would have. Of course, the air temperatures might be slightly lower, but the ground temperatures go higher too. Listen, thank you very much indeed, David, and I appreciate you. you talking to us today. There you go, Thanks David Thunder. Don't forget, by the way, you can go to his Twitter account. It's at David J. Thunder. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Podcast. Listen live on Facebook, YouTube, and all the usual live stream services. To get in touch, just WhatsApp or text 085-100-2255. The Niall Boylan Podcast. They told me to shut up. Available for download from all your usual platforms.